Hi, I'm Jay Thomas, and welcome to Bald Tires, a proud member of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. For our 23rd and 24th episodes, we're going right back to the beginning. My guest these next two episodes is Tim Roden, who joined me for the very first episode of Bald Tires. Today, we're going to talk about the state of affairs for the automotive industry right now, just some of the things that are going on with supply chain issues and the future of electric cars. And Tim also calls himself, along with his dad, Al, tire and wheel guys we've got some great yeah tire and wheel stories for you so sit back relax and enjoy lots of fun coming your way thanks for listening to bald tires because when you make great memories you make bald tires the saskatchewan podcast network is supported by connexus does money spark joy in your life or cause you stress if you said stress you're not alone for 42 percent of canadians their biggest stressor comes from money at connexus they care about your financial well-being Money doesn't have to be stressful, and Connexus is here to help. The Connexus hashtag Money Talk blog provides expert advice, tips, and solutions for all stages of life and events. Getting married, buying a house, budgeting, saving, they cover it all and more. And did I mention it's free? Check it out today at ConnexusMoneyTalk.ca and start feeling confident and stress-free about your money. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is also supported by Direct West. Is marketing getting in the way of running your business? Direct West has a local expert team right here in Saskatchewan that will work with you to build your website exactly how you imagine it. Let them help you improve your online presence and head to directwest.com to learn more. Hi, I'm Jay Thomas and welcome to Bald Tires. I am in the uh, the dining room of a good friend of mine. And you know what? We're many episodes into Bald Tires now. We're going right back to the beginning to my very first guest I had on the podcast. I'm here with my friend, Tim Roden. Hi, Jay. Thanks for coming on with me again, Tim. This is always fun. We, uh, you know, we, <laughs> we, we've been together tonight for already an hour. We've talked cars for an hour, and I thought we better put the microphones on and actually record some of this stuff because <laughs> we get together and we just talk cars endlessly. So I thought we'd, we'd talk about a, a few things in the podcast today. And you know, you're involved in the in the car community, but also the car industry right now. We're yes. going to touch on that a little bit about what we're seeing happening, kind of with COVID and the whole world, a little bit of that. Um, you picked up a set of really cool wheels on a trip recently that we got to talk about. And thirdly, I want to talk about road trips because I think that you've done a lot of road trips and I want to compare some stories about road trips. So anyways, let's start by saying that you, uh, work at a G GM dealership. I do. Yeah. yeah. And your job there is you're you're in charge of a lot of things, but you're also receiving all the new cars, right? Yeah, my department receives all of the new cars. We recondition all of the used cars. I run the detail shop. Uh, we do a ton of car deliveries, car pickups. Lately, car pickups is a big deal. Um, but yeah, basically all the reconditioning of the cars and the receiving of the new cars are all the funnest aspects of the job. Well, and here's the thing that's making the news right now is General Motors. I mean, we know across the, you know, the, the world right now that there are shortages of microchips. And the whole story behind that sort of goes something like this is that when COVID hit, uh, production was like we, every company was unsure what was going to happen. Right. So they all kind of at the same time sort of reduced their numbers of orders of microchips from all the factories that produce them in China and other places around the world. Right. And then those companies that make these microchips then want, didn't want to, you know, just not make anything and not make any sales. So they, a lot of those supplies went to other electronic makers, right? Right, right. And and to some degree they were they were they were making less as well because as COVID was happening in China 
Factories were shut down for times on end and things like that. So here we are now, though, and we've got a shortage of microchips and microprocessors that control a lot of the things that happen in our cars right now. Right. right? GM has said to save on this starting here now, recently, we're going to cut out some options. That's I've been told that some of the options are going to be uh, uh, cut back, uh, but there are going to be small things. Um, the uh, electric... Uh, uh, Steering wheel heater, for ex- for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, memory seats, sat nav systems, uh, just uh, little things like that. We've had a number of trucks come in. Instead of the loaded trucks, we're getting a lot of the Trail Boss, the step down edition trucks. Ah, okay. So this is kind of how it's how it's working. In that, uh, there's going to be a a supply. Any supply right now is a good supply because there's such a short supply. So when it comes to options, I'm not 100% sure what the options are going to be missing, but I'm told it's going to be little things like heated steering wheels, uh, options on the sat-nav systems, anything that uses these microprocessors, right? Uh, TPMS sensors, things maybe of that nature. That's interesting. You know, and the other thing, the other story that's kind of come out and they've told us about more recently is that, you know, a lot of the parts in, doesn't matter what manufacturer, are made of aluminum, right? I mean, body panels, you know, say for an F-150, but I mean, every engine component in in every make and model is made of aluminum now. Mm -hmm. And there is a, due to high energy costs and pushback against coal-powered stuff, in China, there are power plants that are being shut down. So Mm -hmm. electric generation is being reduced. The byproduct of that is some of the plants and the mines that make and produce magnesium are also being shuttered at the same time. And magnesium is a key component component in making aluminum alloy parts and pieces. Right. So there's like, there's a new frontier coming up. Yeah, we got the shortage for like, you know, electronic stuff. And now we may see shortages in the coming months of just metal to build vehicles with. Wow. Which is going to be really interesting to see what happens. So GM did announce today, though, that, or very recently at least, that um, they will honor if that if that vehicle, that trim level was supposed to have its heated seats and heated steering wheel, that they will be retrofitted next year, that they're planning on creating a supply of this, the stuff, the micro part, the microprocessors and all the switches and stuff they need to make it happen, that you'll be able to bring your GM vehicle back to the dealership and have it installed after within a year or year and a half from now, something like that. I'm I'm a hundred percent confident if if GM said that, yeah, that was that, them. Yeah, it'll happen absolutely. You know, another recent uh, event that kind of <clears throat> transpired, so to speak, is uh, I mean, if you've been watching any of the news lately, Western Canada is you know. British Columbia has got a heck of a lot of water going through it right now. And, you know, I think uh, within the next few days, we're going to see a a route actually open up. But as of the date of this recording, there is no connection by land from the port in Vancouver to the rest of Canada. You can't drive to Vancouver. The rail lines are all ruined because of the flooding and massive landslides and everything that happened throughout the mountains. I'm wondering, too, and this kind of struck me, is are we going to see a shortage or a a difficulty with even parts now for existing vehicles. Because I imagine that a lot of stuff, you know, comes from the port of Vancouver, right? Because even AC Delco parts now, a lot of them are made in China, Mm -hmm. right? So that stuff's got to arrive by shipping container to the port of Vancouver. Right. And somehow get over to Western Canada and the rest of Canada, frankly, actually, right? It's either got to go by rail or by truck. 
Right. And if both both of those aren't flowing and moving, right, there's going to be issues with that. It's yeah, it's just another Tetris block kind of pulled out or put in the wrong spot. You know what it all boils down to, and I kind of think about this. Um, you know, like I'm a I'm a huge car guy. And I love cars, and I love seeing you know the next new model and things like that. And I've always been interested. But there's also a flip side of me, and I, you know maybe it's how do I describe it? Part of me, you know, also is a little bit grossed out by the fact that people buy a new car, say, every two or three years, as if it's, you know, garbage after mm-hmm. three or four years, something like that. We've become a very throwaway society. Let's yeah. face it, right? Yep. I mean, that's that's just a fact of life. It's how things go. And for, you know, for vehicles, they've gotten swept along in that, right? Vehicles are still repaired and still maintained. But, man, I mean, there's a lot of vehicles that after 10 years get scrapped, Whereas 50 years ago, they were on the road for 20 or 30 years before they had really worn themselves out. Or at least they were still serviceable for 20 or 30 years, right? You know, they were built in such a way that you could service the parts, rebuild them, you know, replace them. Whereas now, I mean, there's stuff that is so expensive to replace, it's cost prohibitive. It's the part is worth more than the car, right? Right. We know that that just is is natural. I'm wondering if we're going to see a positive come out of this whole scenario. So supply chain issues, maybe it's the magnesium, maybe it's the chips, maybe it's transport, all of this stuff. Do you think we're going to see a bit of a change in the mindset of buyers and owners that are going to go, hmm, well, I was going to buy a new truck this year, but old Bessie here, she still goes. And, you know, I probably can't really find the one I want or get one. It's so, so hard to get one. So I'll just keep this one on keep keep going with it right well you can ask anybody who works in the service or body shop business uh, how busy they are and they'll say they're really busy Mm -hmm. because people are now maintaining cars uh and they're they're going to be lasting a lot longer i mean people are now almost stuck you need to maintain what you've got um because the prices of new stuff is of course inflated uh due to the supply issues and it's inflating the prices of used things too it's inflated the price of everything Uh, used cars are also inflated in price and uh, parts, of course, are starting to be inflated in price. But anyone who's ever been a maintainer of their car will will not be affected whatsoever. No, no. Um, it's the, you know, rank uh, maybe people who are just driving cars to, you know, drive them right into the ground and then just get a new one because they're cheap. are going to have to rethink their lifestyle and start maintaining the car yeah. just so it lasts a little bit longer. I mean, I know, I know of people who have simply sold the car because it needed new tires. Right. Yeah. You know, like after three years of the riding the tires that came with it from the factory, it needed new tires. They didn't want to spend a thousand dollars in their head. They, this was the right move to do, you know, and so they bought a new car. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to replace that or they needed new brakes. They didn't want to, they just, they bought a new car. I think that's going to change a little bit though. I, th- I think you're right. Uh, there's a lot of people now who are really doing a double take and saying, I think the car could last longer if you just spent a little bit on maintenance. You know, it only takes a, a trip into a, you know, certified repair center, your yep. dealership or whatever, once a year to keep the car up to up to snuff, properly maintained. It's far easier than just buying a new car, you know, especially in this day and age. It's not as sexy. I mean, that's the thing. It was always cool. You know, that, that was the part of it is kind of a keeping up with the Joneses thing for a long time, oh, right? Of course, everybody wants to keep up with, uh, especially the tech. And that's the first thing that tends to go in older cars that are even <laughs> 10 years old is the tech. You know, all yeah. of a sudden your screen doesn't work anymore. The phone, you can't connect phones up to it anymore. Something goes wrong with it and the backup camera isn't working or whatever. You don't have problems like that with a 
say an 80s or a 70s car no you know um but you do in modern cars and uh you know electronic fuel pumps and electronic everything that's you know set to turn on all the lights on your on your dashboard so and that's why people typically want to get out of older cars and get into newer ones so they just can't just don't want to really be bothered with all of the expense and the hassle that goes into maintaining newer cars they don't but maybe we will inspire people to change their thought process with this they'll be forced to is what i'm saying mm-hmm. right yeah. they'll be forced to do it because there's really no supply of new cars not a lot uh there's no there, you know it's very uncertain mm-hmm. so they might you know they're gonna like you said reconsider putting some money into it and saving it that might that might create a you know a, a better balance though for our world because it's, just using up resources to make you know, it's it's kind of funny. I, I find myself in a weird spot. I love new cars. I love seeing them. Of course, we think back in the in back to the fifties, sixties, seventies. There was a new car every year. People bought them like crazy, and we're we're thankful that they did. Mm-hmm. But when you take a kind of a different mindset about the whole situation, it's wasteful to just throw a car away after four years, right? It it absolutely is. And uh, you know, I would love to see it if people did that and you know, kind of stayed loyal to a car for five or ten years. Yeah. Which in a perfect world would be, you know, the norm. But uh, I don't think society is really going... I think society will do that for the next couple of years because the COVID will still remain fresh in their minds. But in the long term, I think we're going to go straight back to, you know, getting a different car. You got to remember, cars are a lot like fashion. It changes for a reason. And that's so consumers keep consuming. So, you know, we keep wanting to look the newest and look the, you know, the the have the best thing out there the newest thing at least yeah i mean everybody loves to have a new car even renting one is kind of neat because you're just driving a brand new car that's right yeah yeah it's just uh you know and i know i know that there was certainly new cars every year forever right there's been a new car that's been part of the process Mm. but i mean you can see as a society as a whole though that you know that washing machine that your mom and dad bought when they were first married lasted for a very long time and now if you get like eight or 10 years out of an appliance, it's a miracle. Right. Right. Yeah. Like that, that, that forced obsolescence or just the longevity and the lifespan of these objects that, that we build has just been shortened and shortened and shortened on purpose to create so we can buy more things. But I think that uh, something like this may reset our minds a little bit with how we think about it, you know? Well, of course. And I, yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people will... Uh, be like that um in the long term who knows what's going to happen though in five years in the future with the electric revolution going on right now in the auto industry also uh there's all of the manufacturers are promising multitudes of electric models coming out within the next four or five years so that'll be the next reason why people start to replace cars is they're going to want to start going all electric and as governments start to uh uh, choke up supplies of fuel and whatnot it's going to be inevitable we're going to have to do some sort of switch. People aren't going to tolerate paying two or three dollars a liter for gasoline. Well, they wouldn't just simply won't be able to afford it. Yeah. You, you know, I've got a coworker right now who um, changed jobs, didn't need the truck anymore, just was sick of paying for fuel in it. Went from a Dodge Ram to a Nissan Leaf, an electric mm-hmm. Nissan Leaf, and I think his electric bill. And he just drives to work, home. You know, grocery store, get the kids, that sort of thing. He doesn't do a lot of driving in it. Um, but his his electric bill was like $6 for the month to, oh. to, to basically power that car. 
Yeah. By plugging it at home. Six bucks. Yeah. That's that was the electric, you know, extra cost. And I know as more and more things change with electricity and we there's a greater demand, certainly cost is going to go up for us. There's there's no doubt. Right. Oh, everybody's power bill is going to get really expensive. Exactly. I mean, things will change. Let's not kid ourselves. It's We're not going to get 15 or seven cents a kilowatt for for forever. Right. Or maybe mm-hmm. it's I think it's 15 when you add up, you know, the taxes and stuff. But I mean, wow, that's super cheap. Compared oh. to running a gas vehicle, right? I would have one in a heartbeat just for running around in the city. Yeah. An electric car because I've driven them. They're they're a lot of fun to drive. They're a, they're kind of a hoot to drive. They're, a, you know, incredibly powerful and they're very heavy and they feel heavy. Even the small cars feel heavy like a big luxury car. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, well, there's two things that come to mind. First thing I think about is I panic a little bit wondering how I'm going to get gas into, you know, into my old classic car already. The last fill up I did this year before I put it in storage, half a tank was $70 mm-hmm. a premium gas. Yeah. Half a tank. I know that's because I spent the same money for half a tank in my car also. And you know, like it's a hobby vehicle, so I don't drive it a lot, lot, mm-hmm. but I still probably put a tank in every couple of weeks with what, you know, we do with the sort of the car show circuit and everything like that right oh man that's you know it's a dollar 65 already what's it going to later you know in this summer and there's going to be another uh carbon tax add-on from the government coming up again i think this spring mm-hmm. so where's it going and i you know so i'm sort of I feel a bit panicky about that because of course i don't want to let it go you know i don't i don't want to stop driving it i love it too much it's, you know it's our hobby well you're always going to be able to buy gas you know for the foreseeable future yes because the distances that people who live in areas of canada especially have to travel i can see most households having two cars one electric one gas the gas car will simply be for traveling out of town you want to make a trip to calgary or or whatever yes you can do it in an electric car but it's extremely inconvenient having to stop every three hours for two hours to charge it up yeah that's right yeah so and uh, yeah so that's uh, the day when all electric uh, replaces gas is a long long ways away and a lot can happen between now and then that's true that's true the other thing we were talking about though before we got going here what's interesting is there are now companies and you you know brought up ford as one of them that you can buy a drop-in electric motor yeah, well, I saw that it, uh, that was part of the SEMA show. I saw it online. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. had converted a, a Ford F-150, a 78 or a 77 Ford F-150 to an all-electric, and they used these uh, do-it-yourself drop-in electric engines so that, I mean, a do-it-yourselfer's got to know an awful lot <laughs> to, to convert an old car to an electric car. Um, but apparently Ford says it's entirely possible yep. and, uh, just, just wait. I mean, the, the king of crate engines has always been GM Yep. and they will have something guaranteed right, right around the corner. And there's a company in the States and I can't remember their name, but they are making again, drop in mo- uh, electric motors, but they're retrofitted to look like your gas engine and then hook up to your transmission. Mm. So it's not, you got to redo your whole drive terrain. It's simply yard out your V8 drop this electric motor that looks like a V8. It's got, you know, chrome valve covers and it's shaped in the shape of a V8 and it's got engine mounts that belong in the right spot. Right. And it hooks up to your turbo hydromatic 400 or, you know, Ford. Very, very cool stuff is, is kind of coming out uh, when it comes to the electric car and uh, retrofitting of 
of virtually any car is going to get, in my opinion, I think it's going to get really simple and mm -hmm. fairly cheap. It's apparently costs about 30 or 40 grand to retrofit any car to electric. Yeah. And compare that to the 60 or 70 grand for a new electric car. It's going to be cheaper to, if, if they made it cheaper to retrofit your old road car into an electric. Yeah. You know, like back to the future part two. <laughs> That's right. Retrofitting your car to fly. Oh, sure. Hover <laughs> cars. Who wouldn't want a hover car? <laughs> Convert your old gas car to a hover car. That's well, right. <laughs> absolutely. I would do it. <laughs> Uh, that's that, that's a great movie. I just thought of that too. Now you mentioned it too. It's going to be fascinating to watch our indus the industry and watch what happens in the next few years. And like you said, uh, you know they're they're all making strides, and they've all a lot of companies have made commitments to go 100 percent electric at, by a certain date too. Mm -hmm. They've got that in there, you know. I know there's going to be some die hard gas fans, and you know. Internal combustion fans, though, they're going to be pretty upset with that. Well, again, I don't see internal combustion going anywhere anytime soon. No. Uh, this is all years and years and years into the future. And, you know, the further you get into the future, the the more you're able to kind of recognize the pros and cons of, of everything. Like I say, I've, I've now driven a number of different models of electric cars, and they're, they're very, very cool. They're extremely different to drive, of course, but... Uh, you know, they're very, very neat. And just for running around in the city, yeah, they're they're great. So what? So I've driven a, a few electric ones. Uh, I think most recently was a Hyundai Tucson mm -hmm. SUV, all electric. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's just an electrified version of the gas-powered car that they make otherwise. But it was really cool. And the only thing I, I didn't appreciate about it is they took an all-wheel drive SUV an electric version is only front-wheel drive. Okay. There are some manufacturers who are who are changing that. They're making all-wheel drive, you know, and they're putting a motor in the front and more in the back. Mm -hmm. But that Hyundai, you know what? Like, burnouts on demand. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I'm serious. Take the traction control button off, just stab the throttle, and it would just light the tires up on dry pavement. Instant Whirr! torque. It would, yeah, just yeah. squeal. Yep. You know, it was, and it really moved. Like, it's a cool feeling. Um, it's a little weird, you know, just no engine noise. And it just kind of makes this noise, you know, as you kind of get going. That's the hardest thing to get used to, for sure. But the thrust and the torque is just mm, so satisfying. It is. You know, what yeah. have you driven? I've driven, of course, I've driven the Chevy Bolt. Yep. And uh, it's a small car. We just have a new model out and I had one i just kind of zipped around the lot with it and it was a chevy bolt uh, euv so slightly slightly bigger more suv-ish than a chevy bolt but the the kind of the neat things about electric cars is when you get into the car cold for example and you turn the heater on it blows hot you don't have to wait for the engine to heat up it no. blows hot right away it's yeah. it's instant hot air and uh again yeah like the um the sensation on the freeway, you can pretty much drive the car just with the cruise control buttons on the freeway, mm -hmm. adjust the speed because it's so instantaneous. It's uh, just a very, very different sensation. When you're on the road with an electric car also, there's, it feels exactly like a gas car because you still have all the road noise of the tires humming on the road yeah. and the wind wishing by and everything else too. So it feels quite normal and, and quite natural. So it's, uh, but they do have the large screen also in them. And that's, I think that'll be the next big trend is the big Tesla-esque yep. screens in yep. these cars yep. also. So I drove a Tesla Model Y 
And oh, did you? Uh, again, just kind of moving one on, on the lot. And uh, very different. You get in, there's no start-stop button in it. The key is a credit card. And you simply put the key in a little slot and the car is totally active. No on-off button. You just put your foot on the brake and click D for drive and up for reverse and huh. press a button for park. Really? Otherwise, the whole thing is just active. And there's only one screen in the very center of the dash. That's right. Yeah. It displays everything. You're, it displays everything. There's a big map. You know, all speedometer. of your back. Yeah, speedometer, everything. Speedometer is just two little digits in the top corner. I guess, hey. Yeah. As soon as you get used to it, though, it's uh, it's kind of like driving an iPad. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I mean, call you know, think what you will about the the Tesla company. You know, there's people who've got opinions about the company. One thing that probably Elon Musk did very right, I in my opinion, was to create sort of electric supercars first. And what I what I mean by that is, I think you know, you just said it. It's very much like driving an iPad. I think people are worried, especially in the in the, the car enthusiast world, that a new electric car will be so boring I'll want to kill myself. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it'll have no feedback, it'll be dull, it'll be just, you know, like riding the the kiddie rides at the amusement park. Just terrible. But but Tesla set out and created these cars that are, well, some of the fastest production of vehicles in the world. Right. They're setting you know, acceleration records, they're they're beating supercars off the line on a drag strip, you know, that sort of stuff. I think what that's done is just created a bit of a, pardon the pun, but a bit of a spark, a bit of a sparkle mm-hmm. around the whole idea of an electric car that it doesn't have to be boring and drab. And, you know, like there are certainly ones that are going to come out that are going to suck. They're going to be like driving a toaster, right? Yep. They are. But it at least started with, at least there's some hope, some glimmer out there that it, it doesn't always have to be like that, even if it's electric. Oh, well, I've got a, I've got a lot of hope for electric cars. Uh, I, I think as electric cars become more and more efficient, you're going to see uh, a greater sense of style come back to the mm-hmm. auto industry also, because everyone's going to have electric cars. They're all going to be super efficient. And you have to remember back to the 1950s when there were so many car companies out there selling cars that were very well built, extremely efficient. They were already, you know, a a great, everybody kind of made a great car. But people started buying cars based on style and how comfortable the seats were and and how easy they were to drive. And that's, I believe, is going to translate into the future electric cars also. The other thing too is the bigger the car, the more battery capacity you're going to have and the further it's going to go. So I think you're going to see larger electric cars coming out. They're not all going to be small, dumpy looking little toasters, right? <laughs> you're going to see a lot more of the uh, the Tesla Model S, incredible car. Yeah, you well, know? and some more full-size SUVs, I'm assuming too, we'll see. You know, Oh, for sure. Because let's face it, the SUV is not going anywhere anytime soon yet, right? I mean, that's still, that trend is still riding high. People want to still haul the family around. That's right, yeah. that's right. Another thing I was thinking of too, uh, with with the whole electric car world that's coming uh, is that battery technology is going to change quick. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of talking, you know, we, you know, we were saying about, you know, taking a road trip, you think people will have a car that, you know, is gas, one to two long hauls, ones that's electric for kind of drive around the city. And I think too, that we'll see probably the biggest change, like certainly we're seeing it now. It's not uncommon to drive by an electric car now on the road. In fact, me driving home tonight, I'll probably see one. I, could, right. I very very well likely could. When we'll see the huge, the biggest change is when the battery technology catches up that you can charge an electric car in about the same time you can gas up a gas vehicle. Mm-hmm. 
When you can stop, plug the thing in, go have a bathroom break, pick up your bag of Doritos, come back, and the thing is charged. Right. That'll be that'll be it. I'm right. Quite surprised right now that the. Well, I maybe shouldn't be surprised, but uh, I wonder why the auto industry hasn't gone with adapting a uh, like a battery that fits all cars and then being able to drive your electric car to a gas station and simply swap the battery packs out in the same time it would take you to top up your coffee and get a bag of Doritos. Yeah. Right? There's been theories or there's been speculation about that. I've, I've heard, read articles about, you know, Tesla was playing with that idea in the beginning. Mm. And I don't, I don't never heard why they chose not to go with it, but you're right. It would be, I think they're, I think they're just counting on the technology catching up first right? rather than having to physically swap batteries. Because like I say, if, if you can stop, charge a car in the same time it takes to fill up for gas. And even if you only have a 400 kilometer range, Mm -hmm. let's call it that my gas car doesn't go any farther than 400 kilometers in a tank of gas. Right. But there's a gas station every 400 kilometers or less, right? Exactly. Well, if there's a power charging station every 400 kilometers or less, and it takes you six minutes to charge the battery, yeah. what's the difference? Oh, exactly. Our life, our life is exactly the same, right? Right. I know we're not there yet, but there are already cars that are coming out that have 20 and 30 minute charging times to hit 80%. Sure, yeah. That's already a known fact. Tesla's, in fact, one of them that's that's getting those kind of numbers with the high capacity charging. So, right. Even 20 minutes isn't that bad. 20 minutes isn't that bad. You know, you're, and, and they're slowly bringing that convenience to customers because customers want comfort, they want convenience, and they want affordability with anything. You know, a lot of people care about the environment, but, you know, deep down inside, they, they're going to get what's <laughs> convenient and comfortable first, yes, right? That's right. So uh, that, that's, just, that's just human nature. It is, totally. So if you can bring that kind of convenience and affordability down to where gas cars are now, you'll start selling as many electric cars. Had you know, if you can provide them, if they can keep up with the demand, yes, I think they will. And I, you know, the the whole crux of the thing is to get the the majority of our urban centers, big cities, Toronto and Calgary, even Saskatoon and Regina. If you had sixty percent of those people just running around in those cities driving electric cars. Yeah then all of a sudden that carbon that they keep talking about is going to come way down. That's right. Nothing produces more carbon than burning coal and fuel, right? That's right. Yeah, I mean, that's just a plain fact. Uh, (laughs) I think, too, that the naysayers quickly here will also experience uh, or be educated at least a little bit in what, in some of the things they're pushing back on. And like one of them is, well, that thing's going to be so cold in the winter. You know, how is it going to survive? That sort of thing. Like you said, you hop into them, they have instant heat. Right. In fact, it's better in a gas car in some ways because most of them have an app on your phone. You're going to leave in 20 minutes. You preheat the car, as in starting in the same kind of technology you do a remote start with, except that the car doesn't take 15 minutes to warm up and then create heat. It just warms up for 15 minutes. You step outside, you got a toasty warm car to get into right. or a cool car in the summer. The air conditioning comes on, you know, like it's it's even smarter than that. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, there are limitations with batteries and cold. The thing is, you know what? You and I, when it's minus 30, we plug our cars in. Yeah. Right? We plug our gas cars in so they'll actually start. Right. What's the difference if you plug your electric car in just to keep it charged? 
Well, most cars, I mean, even the worst electric cars in, in bitter cold will have maybe 150 or 200 kilometer range. And who's going to drive 200 kilometers in the city in one day unless you're a delivery driver? Most average people in Saskatoon, I know, probably don't go more than 60. Yeah. 50 or 60 that kilometers. I know it. I live across the city and it's, I mean, 9 or 10 kilometers to work, right? So I might put on 20 or 30 kilometers. Even a commute from the suburbs is only 20 kilometers. Yeah, you might only have way. to charge the car once a week. Yep. So, I mean, it's not going to answer every problem yet. It's not solved. Oh, of course you know? not. Yeah. But I, I've, I think I we're in the same camp that, you know, this is headed in the right direction and it's, it's going to be it, interesting. It's just neat. It's neat technology and it's going to be really neat to see the future uh, of, of cars. And, you know, gas cars, I think, are, are going to stick around also because there's going to be the people who just want and prefer a gas car. Mm-hmm. And our gas SUV, pickup trucks especially. Um, but you know what, the, like I say, the larger they are, the more battery capacity. And, you know, I can't wait to see the new F-150 Lightning. Yeah. The uh, new, well, Chevrolet is going to have electric pickup trucks also. So it's, it's going to be cool and they're going to look really neat because they're going to really want to entice buyers. I think people, uh, the public or a lot of the pushback, they're not thinking of it like this. And you just summed it up is that they're sort of thinking of an all or nothing. Hmm. But the two can coexist. The two will coexist. For a long time. Absolutely. Yep. You know, they're going to serve different purposes, mm-hmm. but they'll coexist. They're going to be people who don't ever travel much out of the city. So they can have an electric car their whole life because they, well, the, they never travel out, you know, on the, on, the, and on the country roads. The whole gasoline infrastructure is all pre-existing also. So, yeah. I mean, that's just not going to change. Not to mention, I mean, all it takes is a couple of elections in you know in north america to you know sort of put some sort of break on the really hard push yes. towards uh say electric cars or whatever and the stifling of of our fuel markets so yeah and the the crazy high fuel prices as a result right well and that's the yeah, thing that's eventually that's all going to get voted out and and uh more normalcy will come into the political side of the of the supply of oil and gas i think so I mean, yeah it it must it has to and it will well, it'll it'll break the economy if it doesn't, and that's what will force it over, right? Exactly. That that's exactly what'll force it over. Yeah, for sure. Totally. So, yeah. Hey, let's uh, let's switch gears. Pardon the car pun. I want to <laughs> talk about uh, a really cool set of wheels that you picked up recently. Mm. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna go. We're gonna dive back into the classic car world. Now, your dad, Al. I think, you know, I think maybe I'm right in saying this has probably played a big influential part of you being a car guy. Oh, he has. Absolutely. You know, like he had some cool cars when you were a kid growing up. You know, you had obviously had a bunch of really sweet cars. We talked about that in our first episode. Yeah. But you've called your dad a tire and wheel guy. He is an essential tire and wheel guy. (laughs) Dad's cars always had clean wheels and clean tires and the shinier and the brighter the better as far as dad was concerned and every car my dad owned as far as i'm concerned even his company cars were cool because he just kept them so clean you guys have a, a saying poverty caps you know yeah <laughs> because yeah. i think you, your dad probably called them that for years hey yeah. regular old hubcaps were just poverty caps because they weren't good enough you know they weren't real wheels you for sure <laughs> <laughs> that maybe that's my uh kind of affliction or sickness when it comes to wheels and and collecting wheels so i've well, got wheels i don't even have cars for well i love i love walking around at a car show with al and he'll go oh that's nice it's got the wrong wheels and tires on it though yeah you know 
I'll just throw that out there. The tires are too small. The tires are too big. The tires are dirty. You know, there's no white wall. <laughs> so all that. Dad, dad knows his wheels, and that's the first thing he'll notice on a car. That's the first thing I've always noticed on a car too is wheels, and that's maybe what made me a success in the detailing business. Is man, the wheels have got to be clean. Yeah, they do. They yeah. really do. So you went out to was it Calgary recently or Edmonton? I was just in Calgary. Yeah. Calgary. Yeah. Tell me about the set of wheels you found. Well, I found a set of uh, appliance wire wheels for uh, Cadillacs. Uh, they made them for 10 years. They're a very expensive option. And there's very few of them running around with these wheels on them. And I happen to find a set that are new. I think they were on the car for one year. And the fellow I bought them from said his wife in the first year uh, had rubbed a curb with one of the wheels. And he went to replace it. And it uh, was $1,500 for the one wheel. In 1980-whatever. So, 1988. And oh, my gosh. So he took the whole, he replaced the entire wheel set with standard wheels and hubcaps, took the wheels off, sprayed them off, and left them in his garage for 30 years. And then I bought them. <laughs> so. <laughs> now, he figured, you know, in your conversation, he sort of said that they were, he, when he went to the dealership to buy that wheel, he was shocked at the price because his, he said, quotes, well, I only paid $2,000 for the set when they came with the car. Well, as an option. As an option. Yeah. Right? And then he was you know, mortified that it was $1,500 for just one. For the one wheel. And buying it from the parts counter, of course, right? Mm-hmm. But I was thinking and saying this to you earlier, 2000 bucks in 1980-whatever, 87, 86, that was a lot of money. For an oh, option. Oh, sure it was. Sure, that was a lot of a lot of money. I mean, you could buy a a really basic new car for just a little bit more than that, mm-hmm. you know, and certainly a really good used car for two thousand dollars in in the mid eighties, right? And like just two thousand dollars for a set of wheels for mm-hmm. your car would seem extraordinary now. I mean, right. that, now that would be like, that would be, I think, the, the equivalent of somebody saying, buy the new Cadillac. If you want those wheels, it's $10,000. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. $10,000? Uh, well, you know? That's, that's crazy. That's just what he told me. Yeah. So I've never looked up exactly what it, what the option was on an 88 Cadillac Brome, but 1988 uh, cars, I... Figure that car likely cost about thirty grand when it was new. Holy! Um, so I'm just going based on I had a '83 Buick Riviera, which would have been kind of a similar priced car, sure. and uh, that was twenty seven grand. That and I had the bill of sale for that one when it was new. That's unbelievable. Yeah, so yeah, it was an expensive car when it was new. Like that is intergalactic intergalactic price at that time in history for a vehicle. Now that's just a, that's a Honda Civic. Yeah, exactly. It's twenty seven or thirty thousand dollars, no problem. Right. I mean, that's where we are in, in the world. But then twenty seven thousand wow. dollars in nineteen eighty three inflated to twenty twenty one prices is, you know, how much? I know it's gonna be a lot. Well, I'm sure I'm sure that's over eighty thousand dollars what that car would cost now, like if you went in to buy a new Cadillac, mm-hmm. right? You went in to buy a new Cadillac, ATS or CTS, you know? Yeah. I'm sure they're eighty grand or well, more. Compare it to my 83 Delta 88, which I also have the new bill of sale, and that was 16.5, which is a little more realistic yeah. for a new 83 car. So $10,000 more money for it, that Riviera. It's really amazing how well Cadillac did in the 80s, you know, at that time, selling this stuff considering how expensive it was. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, Cadillacs of the 80s are not really known for reliability or powerful engines. No. Uh, the biggest cars were all choked up and detuned with, you know, small, funny engines that were all guinea pigs for GM, you know, the digital fuel injection and, 
you know, the, those 4.1 liter engines, which are, they're not bad engines, but it's way underpowered. Yeah. I had an 82 Fleetwood Brome and there's no fun to drive at all. It's just <laughs> dead, gutless dogs, you know, they run good. Hey, you got 25 miles per gallon. <laughs> dead, gutless dogs. That's going to be the title for our podcast. <laughs> I'd love to get one of those and do an LS swap. Wouldn't that be cool? Like a, a decent, just a 5.3 liter Anything reliable with lots of jam and power. and Light up the tires on a Cadillac. Yeah, so, make it a sleeper. So you've got this set of wheels. Mm-hmm. And you know what's funny? Because you text me when you were looking at them. And I said to you, buy them. Because you're, it's going to be easier to find a car for those wheels than it will be to find those, those wheels again for a car you have. Oh, well, I had two Fleetwood Broms and looked for 10 years to find a set of wheels exactly. like this. And uh, now I have no fleet. It's easier to find the Fleetwood Brom than it is to find the wheels. <laughs> exactly. But that's not the only set of wheels you got in the basement, right? Oh, no, I've got several sets of wheels. Okay, so t- take, take me through them. Oh, well, I've got uh, two separate sets of wheels for Lincolns because I'm a, just like you, I'm a big collector of luxury cars. And I've got some solid steel, or sorry, solid aluminum dish wheels that were an option for Lincoln Continentals. I've got those wow. in the basement all polished up. I actually had them on a, on a Lincoln of mine that I sold, and the fellow I sold it to didn't want the wheels. I've got a set of turbine wheels from a Karchi uh, uh, Designer Series Continental Mark V. I've got yeah. a set of 14-inch uh, Oldsmobile G-Body. If anybody who owns a G-Body out there wants a really nice set of stock chrome, and they're new. With new caps. They're new. So, yep. 14 inch and they're chrome. Yeah. Uh, super stock two, I think they're called. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So. I, so here's my wheel and tire story. It's not nearly as cool as yours. When I got going in the broadcast industry, my, my previous industry that I was part of, I started in Prince Albert. Mm-hmm. And I moved up there. I had just bought uh, a new, a brand new Ford Focus ST. Ooh. Okay, 2006. It was kind of not as cool as the SVT that came before it and certainly not as cool as the real STs that showed up from Europe after it. Mm-hmm. But it was a little red four-door sedan, but it had a bigger engine. It Ford put, they deleted the muffler. Ford just deleted the muffler right off the car and, and had the resonator and the, and the catalytic converters, and that was it, straight out the back. Special suspension, special brakes, different transmission. It was a pretty cool, unique little car. Yeah. And I loved it. But I moved to Prince Albert to start my my career and didn't get paid near enough to be able to afford uh, oh no. <laughs> $500 in rent for my apartment yeah. and the new car. So I sold it to a friend of mine. And, okay, I need a set of wheels. Like... And in the meantime, I wanted to buy a ring to be able to get married. So mm-hmm. then I really couldn't afford the car. And I mean, the payment was so cheap. It's laughable now. Yeah. You know, like 250 bucks a month. My God, I wish I could get it back. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, so I uh, threw, I think I was walking through the mall and there was one of those poster boards and, you know, this is. 15 years ago, they used to post cars for sale. It was, this is sort of before like Kijiji wasn't really a thing yet. Yep. You still went by classified ads in the paper or in the auto trader and stuff like that. And so there was a kind of a poster board for the classified ads from the PA leader or whatever it is, the paper is there. Times Herald, Daily Herald, whatever. And uh, there was a few cars and kind of looking. And then one caught my eye and it was a 93 Ford Tempo Coupe. Okay. 
five speed. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I called the and it was kind of in my budget. So I called the guy up. Certainly not a new car. It was already definitely like, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years old at the time. Right. Yeah. But it looked really good in the pictures. So I called the guy up and said, hey, can I have a look at it? And, you know, this and that. So I went over to his house and turns out he was like a roommate of my dad's from university. Oh, like, wow. <laughs> no, you have to buy it. Didn't even know who it was until we got there, you know. Mm-hmm. And then they, they made this connection and figured it out. And he had an Escort for sale, a newer Escort. Uh, and then this tempo, but the escort was an automatic and I like manuals for little cars. I just do. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, and the escort was an automatic with air conditioning. The tempo no had a, had AC, no cruise control, but it had a five speed manual. Yeah. And it was this sort of medium metallic blue sky blue ish color and like amazing shape. And the guy I'm buying it from is a mechanic at Lakeland Ford. Okay. So I'm thinking like, okay, well taken care of. He bought it brand new from the dealership, had it its entire life. It had, you know, new brakes and some new rear struts put into it and a little bit of work here and there. And just like he, I don't think everybody, anybody ever rode in the back seat. I think he just drove it to work mm-hmm. and drove it home. And then that, that was his just run around little car and a little 2.34 cylinder in it. Anyways, I'm getting to the point that had these alloy wheels on it. And if you can believe it or not, there is an online Tempo Topaz forum group community. Mm -hmm. And they're absolutely nuts. What I mean is there's like, there's somebody wrote up uh, an article that's, that's based in this website and it gives every single option and detail as if it was a Ferrari. Right. Like they've, they've got, you can look up year by year and the color specs and like, just everything. Wow. And so then there's this brochure or this this picture of all the different wheels you could get with the car. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of looking and this the guy who sold me the car said, hey, by the way, if you, if you ever think about it, I know a guy with another set of wheels for this thing. Mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, I'd like to set of wheels for some winter tires, you know. And I'm just thinking, oh, he's got a set that's out in the, out in the shed or something, you know, off of a tempo. Mm-hmm. So I get a hold of the, this this other guy. And I go show up to his place in Prince Albert in his garage and off the shelf, he pulls four Ford boxes. Three of them have never been opened. Oh, no way. And so literally they were the matching alloy wheels that were already on the car, but they had been on the car all seasons, you know, for its entire life. So the... You know, the alloy wheels look starting to get pitted and kind of... Oh, of course, yeah. The car Typical looked, wear and tear, yeah. The car looked great, but the wheel, the alloy wheels, Ford's alloy wheels in the 80s and 90s didn't survive very well. Nope. That's just a yeah, fact. That's right. And so I was, so he pulls them down and I think I got them for a hundred bucks each, which was a lot of money for me at the time. Yeah. But they, like one box had been opened to check it was the right wheel. The other three had never been opened from the factory. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. So I got the, bought them and swapped the tires and had my summer tires on those. And damn it, about five months later, I was coming up through pre-PA, 16-year-old girl, her friends turned left right in front of me and I T-boned her and wrote the car off. No way. (laughs) Did you save the wheels? I did, yes. Excellent. I did. I saved, I did sell them since though, because I just knew I was never going to have another Ford Tempo, you know. It was like a one in a million thing, but. Oh, for sure. Well, there's not, you know, I'd love to see 
a, a nice original Ford Tempo. I haven't seen one in so long. Yep. Those I know. were everywhere in the 80s and 90s. They were. Yeah. They were. And uh, in fact, I came I came home from the hospital in an 86 Ford or 86 Mercury Topaz. Okay. Yeah. GS Sport. And it had a European package on it and it had metric tires. Holy do you remember? Mac- do you remember when, the, when there was yes. a, t- a time Ford and I think a few other manufacturers did this, where they brought these metric sizes in? Yep. Not our standard 195, 65 R14s. Yep. But a weird metric, and there were these alloys with these crisscrossed lines through them. It, they were really, really cool looking wheels. Oh yeah, very 80s. I remember those. Very 80s. Yeah. yeah very square, like square lines through them. Yeah. And uh, you couldn't get anything but high performance summer tires for that car that would fit that size. Yeah. And so I think we drove it for a few years and finally my mom was so mad about getting stuck all the time with these summer tires on the car oh, that no. my, my dad and I drove out to like Amigos auto wrecker and there was a, a temp or a topaz up on its roof and we took all four of its alloy. We, it's, ugly alloy wheels off yeah had all season tires and it was like oh the topaz doesn't look nearly as good with these wow you know blech, tires but and wheels but just the fact that you were brought home from the hospital in a mercury topaz as compared to a tempo means you're going to live an extra 10 years <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> you know it's it's funny how the, the the cars we grew up in influence us a lot i yes. think yeah, you know, I love I love Hondas. My grandpa always had a Honda, still does to this day. You know, and that's made me a big fan. I had Fords for a long time because my parents always had a Ford. They, right, they, so did mine. They had that Mercury Topaz. That was that was their first Ford, and then my mom just always found the seats in a Ford comfortable. So we had a a pair of Taurus wagons, and there was a Ford Escape, and you know, <laughs> like. It, so it's funny and you, same thing with you right oh, same thing with me yeah well you know dad's galaxy i was brought home from the hospital in a 1964 ford galaxy yep uh convertible light blue with a white top and dad currently has the same car but it's a two-door hard top but it's the same color yeah, that's right just had to have it and then his his cars well of course he's had a number of uh, great cars a 57 chev and a 62 chev and uh, he can tell you all the stories of, of his cars. But the cars I remember most, of course, are that Ford Galaxy. Because I was a wee little guy uh, when he sold it. <clears throat> I would have been about five. And uh, he sold it and got a station wagon. And I loved that station wagon. It was a 70 Pontiac Safari. And the rear seats folded up. So there was a seat that folded up that faced backwards. Yeah, yes, yes. And when I was five and six, I could crawl in between the two rear seats. And it was a perfect <laughs> little cubby hole. And it was a perfect place to stretch out and sleep. And Dad will tell you, I slept countless hours just in the back of that car and was a perfect travel companion. Was that a clamshell wagon, one of those? No, it was not. Just that before was, that, right? It was just before the clamshell wagons. It was a 70. And uh, it was green, and um, <laughs> I can't really tell you too many details of it because I was so young. Yeah. Um, I vaguely remember the next car, and I didn't like the next car, and it was a Ford uh, Country Squire wagon. <laughs> and I it wood had, panel. Yeah, it had it was yellow with wood panels, but it had the seats in the back that folded up on either side, so ah. there was no nook to go and curl up and hide in. <laughs> So I couldn't, you couldn't go and hide back there. So it, I don't know. It was just, it was still a cool car and I see pictures of it and, 
And of course, uh, would love to own something like that again someday, even a station wagon. Oh, the wagons are making a big comeback. They oh, really are. are they ever. Yeah. And you know, for the first time a couple of years ago, I actually saw a GM clamshell wagon mm. in action. You know, stick the key in the right hand side of the tailgate of the of the right fender. Yeah. It depends on which way you turn it, right? And the glass goes up into the roof, the tailgate sucks down into the floor. Oh, amazing. It, it's that's incredible. Yeah. Amazing. I'm and, surprised they haven't like re- repeated that. Well, the, it seems to me a lot of those cars had issues and problems with those motors and stuff, you know, especially in the winter. The motor would freeze and the window wouldn't close all the way. And then you had a <laughs> half open window and a half open clamshell and a freezing cold car in the winter and expensive repair bill. And it's any wonder why those were all used up in demolition derbies of all things, you know. So, but it was really cool. And, you know, the odd one that's still kicking around is very, very popular at, at uh, any kind of a oh. car show. I mean, people, I can watch those clams open and close all day long. I remember being mesmerized as a kid. Our neighbors had one. We could just stood there in awe. It was, it was like the future. It was like, Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. It's watching a robot in action, you oh, know, basically. And that, and that it was an Oldsmobile custom cruiser and it had square headlights in the front too. Oh yeah. First time I ever saw a square headlight. Oh really? Oh yeah. Because yeah. those were allowed, what, 1970, there was a date for that, right? Well, their car was a 76 and it was an Oldsmobile and it was a clamshell wagon. I believe that might've been the only year of the clamshell wagon Oldsmobile that mm. had square headlights in it. Could be. Very, very cool. I think that was just about the time, though, that the squares, square sealed beam headlights came out, right? 76, 77. Somewhere in there. Some 75 luxury cars had square headlights already. 75 Cadillacs all had square headlights. They were probably just the first to get it allowed by the government. Oh, yeah. Well, especially in the U.S., they have so many different state laws and stuff, and did in the 70s, even if you go back to the 50s. Some 57 cars have dual headlights in the front and some have just the single ones. That's right, yeah. Because they, were, they weren't allowed yet in certain states, so they had to make just the single headlights still. You know what, Tim? We're going to leave things right there for right now. Next time we get together, let's talk about some road trips. How does that sound? Thanks for listening to Bald Tires, because when you make great memories, you make bald tires.